right, folks, it is that time of week once again. It is the best time of week. We welcome you into another edition of the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports. It's week four of our podcast and week 11 of the college football regular season. And today is Friday, November 11th, 2022. Always remember we drop new episodes every single Friday. You can find us on Instagram at Student Section CFB, or you can read some of our articles online at thestudentsection.net. Now, big weekend of college football ahead. We had a massive weekend of games last week that totally shook up the landscape of college football. We had a playoff ranking show drop on Tuesday that completely turned the playoff picture on its head. And now we've got conference deciding games this week that are going to shake up the race moving forward. So if you're into all that, stay tuned. Let's have a good show, folks. Enjoy. Alrighty, folks. So we're at that point in the season now where every new week brings about a new edition of the college football playoff rankings that us media junkies get to scrutinize, talk trash on, and just absolutely pick apart. And this week is no different because there are some mistakes, there are some things I like. We're going to talk about the top 10, but we're also going to dive into a couple storylines outside the top 10 really quick too. And to me, the first one that you have to talk about when talking about these college football playoff rankings is the disrespect that UCLA received in the the most recent edition. So you look at where the Pac-12 stands right now. You've got Oregon at six, very deserving of that ranking. They have looked like one of the best teams in the country since losing to Georgia. Then you have USC at eight, who, again, their resume is not the best. You know, they've, they've let bad teams hang around in a lot of these games. Bad loss against Utah, who is a good team, no disrespect to Utah. But then you look at UCLA, who's all the way back there at 12, and you think, well, Why are they back there? They've virtually got the same resume as USC. They've got the same caliber of loss as USC. Why is there a four-spot difference between USC and UCLA? I don't get it. There was a period of three, four weeks where UCLA looked like one of the best teams in the country. They look like they can compete for a college football playoff spot. And have we seen USC play to that caliber yet this year? I don't think so. So that's my first kind of point of the the rankings here. And the second point is a bigger one. This is now the first ranking in the history of the college football playoff era where both Alabama and Clemson rank outside of the top six. This is the dawn of a new era in college football, many are saying. People are saying the dynasties are over. People are saying the new blood is rising to the top. And while I don't agree with people saying the dynasties are over, you can certainly make the argument that the new blood is rising to the top. And this is good as a whole for college football. You've obviously still got the powerhouses like Georgia, like Ohio State, that are, that are remaining up there. But Alabama and Clemson have taken up nearly half of the spots in the college football playoff since its inception. Fans have been aching to get that new blood in there. Fans have been aching to see the new teams in there, some of the the, the group of five teams, the lower power five teams. And that has been one of the main criticisms of the playoff, and that is one of the main proponents of the 12-team playoff. So I think as a whole, it's good for college football. But with that being said, I don't think Alabama and Clemson are going anywhere. And that's going to be one of the talking points we brush upon later. So jumping into number one in these rankings, it's going to be Georgia. And this is the biggest no-brainer of the rankings. I mean, a career performance against Tennessee from guys like Stetson Bennett, that defensive front. Georgia just played a sound game from start to finish. And I mean, I watched that game in full a couple times over now. And 
it was essentially just three and a half hours of Georgia exerting their will on Tennessee. I mean, there wasn't a point when I was watching that game after the first couple of minutes where I thought, damn, you know, the Volunteers could potentially win this game. Tennessee could really knock off Georgia at home. I, I never saw that happen. So to me, there's a sizable gap between Georgia and the rest of the field, and that's nothing against the Ohio States and the Michigans and the TCUs of the world, but the display that Georgia put on against Tennessee was like nothing I've seen this season. It's by far the best performance, the best win of any team in any game this season, bar none, and I really don't think anybody's going to try to argue that. And what, what, uh, what else we saw in that game was Stetson Bennett really looking like a national, national title caliber quarterback, excuse me. Stetson Bennett took care of the ball, ran when he needed to, took what the defense gave him, and that's what it's all about when you're playing a defense like Tennessee's who's going to blitz the ever-loving lights out of you and not give you much time to throw. They're going to give you a lot of those underneath routes. Stetson Bennett took what they gave him. He ran when he wanted to. It was a complete performance from Stetson Bennett. I mean, the guy gets a lot of slack for not being one of the better quarterbacks in college football and being outside that tier of the guys like Bryce Young and Hendon Hooker, but... He played a class performance on Saturday. So, moving on to number two, we've got Ohio State, who had a bit of a scare against Northwestern, only winning 21-7 on the road. Now, I get it. The weather, it was bad. It was 30, 40-mile-an-hour winds. But I really don't think Ohio State fans can use that as an excuse. I mean, you're looking forward on the calendar, and your biggest game of the year is on November 26th against Michigan. Do you think the weather's going to be perfect in that game? You've got to figure it out. I mean, the ground game really struggled against Northwestern when C.J. Stroud was was being held back by the weather, and they, they couldn't rely on either Mayan Williams or Trevion Henderson in that game. Their offensive line didn't look the best, and that's what lost them the game against Michigan last year. When you look into the numbers of that game, they got outgained by Northwestern. They got thoroughly dominated on the line of scrimmage, so they're going to have to figure it out in that aspect of the game if they want to win these games late in the season because trust me, the weather is not going to be perfect on November 26th when you face Michigan. It's not. So you've got two weeks to put it together before then and find a way to generate offense in those conditions because that's what football in the Big Ten is. With that being said, Ohio State deserves to be at two, at the very worst, number three. I mean, it's really the first poor performance we've seen from them all season and a lot of it was out of their control. So, Again, people are saying Michigan's got it in the bag. I'm not so certain of that yet. Ohio State is still a very sound football team, and that is going to be the game of the century on November 26th. So moving on to the team they're playing that day, the Michigan Wolverines. And as I mentioned, these two and three spots are very interchangeable. I think you could put either team in either spot, and they'd be fine. And like I said, these rankings for Michigan and Ohio State don't matter because in the end, you're still going to have to win your game against your better rival, to advance to the playoff. You're still you still control your own destiny. There's no need to worry about who's two, who's three with these two teams. But the thing about Michigan here is they don't need the weather on their side. They have the run game to pummel you in arduous conditions. They don't get dominated on the line of scrimmage. You saw they were in a bit of trouble against Rutgers on uh, Saturday, losing 17-14 at halftime, but they turned it up in the second half. They looked stellar on the line of scrimmage. Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, the two of them just absolutely took over in the second half, along with Michael Barrett and the Michigan defense. Can't leave them out, but I think especially when you look at how Bryce Young and Hendon Hooker played last week, and they both lost those two key games as well, why can't Blake Corum win the Heisman? I mean, he's certainly getting invited now, unless he falls off a cliff at the end of the year, but I mean, 
if any non-quarterback is going to win the Heisman this year, it's going to be Blake Corum. Got 1,100 yards, averaging six a carry, leads the nation in touchdowns. This is the guy. This is the best running back in college football, and this is a guy who can make a push for the Heisman and possibly win it. A couple weeks ago, with the way Stroud and Hooker were playing, and, and Bryce Young as well, I thought it was kind of out of the realm of possibility for Blake Corum to make a push for the Heisman. But now, when you see the direction that those two are trending in, Blake Corum can win the Heisman. So that's my favorite storyline surrounding Michigan. Moving on to one of my favorite storylines in college football, that's TCU at number four. And this is the week where we find out if the hype is real. TCU has the resume and deserves to be in the number four spot. But the question is, and the playoff committee has to weigh this in their rankings too, are they going to be the team that gives Georgia the best game? I mean, their resume says yes, but then you saw what Georgia just did to Tennessee. Does TCU really stand a chance in that one versus 4 game if they make it? I mean, obviously, first they've got to make it, and we're going to find out if they are capable of doing so this week because they've got their toughest game of the year against Texas. But I like TCU at 4. Like I said, they have the resume to do it, but it's iffy. The resume warrants it. Do they pass the eye test? Does that part of the game warrant it? Because they've had a couple struggle games against some teams that are not that good, bottom feeders in the Big 12. But nonetheless, they've got the offense to do it. It's been the Max Duggan show all year, but last week you saw Kendra Miller really take over, posted 150 yards, scored twice. That was his game last week against Texas Tech. So as the offense becomes more balanced, you could potentially see TCU take their game to a next level. Now, moving on to number five, Tennessee. They likely still control their own destiny despite being at number five. Granted, they are going to be rooting for that TCU loss, you know, Oregon to lose one more time. They're going to benefit from either Ohio State or Michigan losing. So Tennessee fans, I know it can be grim after the performance that you guys put forth last week where you just got dominated, but there is still absolutely a path to the college football playoff. You're going to need some demonstrative performances down the road. You're going to need to blow some teams out. You're going to need Hendon Hooker to rally the troops, Josh Heupel to rally the troops, and those two guys to really lead you to bouncing back. And you've got the schedule to do it. I mean, you've got South Carolina coming up. Should be a win. And Georgia loses. You could potentially play for the championship, but I don't see that happening by any stretch of the imagination. Moving on, number six, Oregon. And this is a very encouraging ranking for the Pac-12. As I mentioned in the last show, the committee respects the Pac-12. They respect what these teams like Oregon, UCLA, USC, and Utah are doing. They respect the strength of that conference, and that's why Oregon is at number six over a team like LSU. And this is a very encouraging ranking for them because it means they likely control their own destiny. If Oregon wins out and is able to win the Pac-12, they should have a surefire bid into the four-team playoff. I think that's what that ranking at six told you. If they were ranked seven, eight, nine, I'd be kind of iffy about that when they have those SEC teams like LSU above them. But to me, it's Oregon's playoff spot to lose if they manage to lose a game the rest of the way. But if they win that Pac-12, if they finish with one loss, expect them to make the final four-team playoff. And I mean, Bo Nix is looking like a bona fide Heisman contender. And apart from one bad loss 11 long weeks ago, they may be the best team in the country right now if you take that Georgia loss out of their schedule. I mean, they have talked the talk. They have walked the walk since. They've you know, made a lot of me- uh, headlines about the way they've been talking about that game. But make no mistake, this is a different team than you saw three months ago against Georgia, and they have shown it the past couple weeks. Number seven, LSU. And this is such an intriguing team to me because if you think about it, this is a team that's a blocked extra point from being in the college football playoff top four. 
That kickoff game against Florida State, it was seemingly low stakes, didn't mean much, but I mean, losing that one game and being a two-loss team after losing to Tennessee, it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to make the playoff, but I mean, wow, they are one play from being in that top four right now. It's insane. But with that being said, LSU could potentially be the first two-loss team to make the playoff. If anybody's going to do it, it's going to be them this year. They've had convincing performances prior to this week, and if they can get some convincing performances against Arkansas and beyond, they could potentially make the SE, the the playoff if they top Georgia in the SEC championship, which is no easy task. But number eight, USC now. And like I said earlier about UCLA, this is where I think the committee really fumbles. What has USC done to be here? What What sets them apart from UCLA to warrant them being four spots ahead of them? They beat Arizona by one score, let them hang around the whole game. They were losing to Cal at one point, worst team in the one of the worst teams in the Pac-12, let them hang around all game after that same team was thoroughly dominated by Oregon. And granted, they have Kalen Williams, who is a Heisman contender, is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Nobody's going to argue that. But what else? Outside of the quarterback and receiving core, this team hasn't looked good. The defense has been shoddy at best. So... I don't like TCU at the number eight spot, but like I said, if they win out, prove me wrong, they could be knocking on the door of the playoff as well, just like the Ducks up in Oregon. All right, last two teams here. I'm going to kind of group them into one because it's Alabama and Clemson. And like I said, first time in six years of the playoff where we've had, or seven years of the playoff, that we've had these two teams both out of the top six. Wow. Just a shocker. And I mean, when you look at Alabama... I got a lot of guys are saying, oh, the dynasty's over. Alabama doesn't stand a chance going forward, and I couldn't disagree more. I mean, if you look at the last two times, Alabama lost two games in the regular season. They've won the national championship the following year, folks. Is this team really done, or do people just like the thought of them being done? I think Alabama's still got a couple more runs left in the tank at the very least. And moving on to Clemson, I think Clemson, more than anyone, is a team that needs to take a long look at where they are and really evaluate how they're going to run this program going forward because the D-line was the strength of the team all year. This defensive line has got NFL studs all over it, and they disappeared in the biggest game of the year against Notre Dame. Completely non-existent. Notre Dame was able to do whatever they want on the line of scrimmage, run the ball, throw the ball, whatever they wanted. And so Clemson really has to take a look at at where they are as a program, what they want to accomplish going forward, and how they're going to do it. Because this is a team, too, that doesn't even know who its quarterback is. I mean, you know, DJ has not looked the best. He's gotten benched in one of the games. This is a team that needs to really take a step back. And they've just completely ruined the ACC's chances at reaching the college football playoff. And I think that ACC title game against North Carolina, which is presumably going to be the matchup, is going to be an absolute thriller. It's going to be a barn burner. And I think a lot of people are going to be rooting against Clemson for the same reason they root against Alabama because they want to see these perennial powers fall and they want to see these teams lose. So that's our college football playoff top 10. That's my thoughts on the rankings. Of course, always let me know what you think on Instagram and on the website. And now let's move on to our student section game of the week. That's going to be TCU at Texas. Davis fielded at the 16, trying to get outside, and does with a little running room. Hits the sideline, down the sideline. Darius Davis with a convoy in front of him. Needs a block, cuts it back. Darius Davis, double D, touchdown, Horn Frogs, 82 yards. 
All right, so now we're moving on to one of my most highly anticipated games of the year, and that is number four TCU at number 18 Texas. This is going to be the Saturday night football game on ABC, rightfully so, and the line on this one is Texas minus seven. What does that tell you about what they think of TCU? Over-under sits calmly at 65, but wow, I can't believe that spread. But anyways, as TCU's bid for a college football playoff spot is starting to intensify, Texas is going to be the toughest test standing in their way. I mean, the Horned Frogs have managed to stay unbeaten through tough matchups with Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and others, but I mean, they've had some close calls against some lackluster teams. They've won games by very thin margins that they should have won by a lot more. And I think Texas is playing some of their best football of the year right now. I mean, you know, Quinn Ewers is back. They scored 75 points in their last two games combined, and they just topped 13th-ranked Kansas State in fairly convincing fashion. Granted, the the Wildcats almost came back in that one, but Texas looked apart for about 95% of that game. Now, the first thing you want to talk about when talking about Texas and TCU is the tale of two quarterbacks in this one. On one side, you've got Max Duggan, who is one of the best stories in college football this year. He's taken the landscape by storm. Big feel-good story after being benched and the health issues and everything that's happened to him. And now he's got a poten- he's got the potential to lead college football Cinderella into the playoffs. This is a guy, 2,400 yards, top 15 in touchdowns and QBRs. The only quarterback in the Big 12 to hold that distinction. And I think with a win against Texas and a pretty decent performance by himself, he could play himself into the Heisman conversation, folks. It's not out of the realm of possibility, especially because what I said about Blake Corm earlier and his shot, because, I mean, Stroud and Hooker have taken a step back with those two perform- the forgettable performances last week. So the race is wide open for guys like Duggan, guys like Corm, guys like Bo Nix, Drake May, to jump into the race and really assert themselves and maybe win themselves a trip to New York. And I think Max Duggan could be the guy to do that if he's able to lead TCU to a conference title or even a playoff berth. And I think this is going to be his game to shine if TCU wins. Texas's uh, pass defense currently ranks 101st nationally, one of the worst pass defenses in the Big 12. He should have no problem exploiting them. Now, on on the other hand, you've got Quinn Ewers. Texas quarterback, and he has really come on strong since being injured in that Alabama game. He's got nine touchdowns and one interceptions in Texas's three wins since his comeback. Obviously, he played very poorly in the loss against Oklahoma State, intercepted three times, but I mean, at this guy's peak, he was carving up Alabama. He was carving up one of the best defenses or one of the best teams in the country. This guy's legit, and if they beat TCU, he's going to need to play well. I don't think there's any disputing that. But also with Texas, one thing you've always got to take a look at and game plan around is the running back, Bijan Robinson. And he might have a day against this TCU run defense. I mean, they're going to look to exploit that TCU run defense. They allow 150 rush yards per game. And right now, Robinson sits as one of the only players in college football with over 1,000 rushing yards and over 200 receiving yards. He's also averaging just under six yards per carry in this in this game in this season. And if TCU loses the game, it's not going to be because of their offense. It's going to be going to be because their defense faltered against a guy like Robinson. So he can very well put this team on his back, even if Quinn Ewers doesn't have the best day. So with that being said, there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. I mean, TCU leads the nation in touchdowns over 50 yards with 14 of them. That's right, 14 touchdowns from behind midfield. Absurd number there. Then you've got Texas, who converts on 90% of their red zone possessions. And then the one thing you obviously can't take leave out of this game 
Texas has got the home field advantage. They've got 100,000-plus on their side at DKR. And the home team in top 15 games this year has lost just once. That was Penn State losing to Ohio State. So that's something that people glance over when talking about these big games, but it's something that is going to have a massive effect on this contest. So once again, be look, be on the lookout for the home field advantage in this one. Be on the lookout for both of these offenses. If you like scoring, watch this game. Give me the over. I'm not going to make a pick until our game picks for who's going to win, but I love the over in this game. This is going to be an offensive showdown for the ages. Moving on to our next game. Let's see after Keaton Slovis got hurt. Right through the middle. Quentin Judkins. Touchdown, Ole Miss. All right, so on to a game that looked intriguing on the schedule, but has since had a lot of heat taken off of it because of Alabama's loss, and that's Alabama at Ole Miss. So Alabama hasn't lost three games in over 12 years, and they are in serious danger of breaking that streak on Saturday in Oxford. I mean, the Tide have completely lost their identity and don't have a true calling card or a direction that they're headed in for the home stretch of the season. And I think the Rebels' high-powered rushing attack could pose them a lot of problems based on the way their defense has played in the past couple weeks. So, what on earth is wrong with Alabama? I suppose we start there. And I think the easiest thing to point at is their discipline and their penalties, which is such an anomaly for a Nick Saban coach team. But... Uh, It's 2022, I guess. But in their two losses this season, Alabama has given up 26 or committed 26 penalties. Wow. And this is a team that is, again, it's not known for doing that. Alabama does not commit penalties. Nick Saban coached football teams are disciplined. They are sound fundamentally. And so this is such a... It's such a weird sight for the co- uh, the college football fans that have been watching for the entire, nearly the entirety of Saban's tenure there. It's just completely bizarre. But outside of the penalty game, Alabama no longer has an identity on offense. The past couple of years, it's been their passing game with their prolific quarterbacks and their stud receiving cores. You got guys like Devonta Smith, John Mechie. Um, and back a couple years ago, like Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddell. This is a team that's built themselves on those receivers and built themselves on the talent of their quarterback in past seasons. And this year, they don't have that number one receiver. Nobody has really stepped up in that role and convincingly said, I'm the number one receiver on this team. I am the option that we're going to go to in the big spots. I'm the guy that's going to win and lose us football games. Not a single one of them. Alabama's got five guys with over 20 catches on the season, which sounds good in theory, but again, when you need a big catch down the stretch and you don't know who to go to, that's a serious problem. They don't have the Devonta Smith anymore that's going to go and get open. They don't have the Jalen Waddle anymore that's going to go and get open and, you know, speed away from defenders, make a catch over somebody. They just don't have it anymore. But what they do have is a very prolific quarterback in Bryce Young, still one of the best in the country, even though he might be out of the Heisman race, still one of the best there is. And he's going to win or lose them this game this week against Ole Miss. Because guess what? Ole Miss could score points, and we'll get into that shortly. Alabama's going to need to score points to answer that. And especially with the way the Alabama defense has been playing, Pete Golding and company have not been able to figure it out. You're going to need to score to win in this game. And that is what makes Ole Miss such a fun team to watch because this team has the offensive attack to beat anyone in the country on any given day. The one guy you've always got to talk about when talking Ole Miss Rebels football is Quinshawn Judkins, the true freshman who has over 1,000 yards on the year, 
13 touchdowns. He's got almost six yards of carry. But the most, the most interesting thing about Judkins is he's got seven yards of carry against ranked opponents. He has played his best when the lights are the brightest. He has played his best against teams like Kentucky when they won that big game. He's played his best at Texas A&M. They won that game in thrilling fashion, might I add. So Quinshawn Judkins is going to have a field day against Alabama if they do not make any adjustments. And then along with him on Ole Miss, I mean, he doesn't get talked about a lot because of what Chudkins is doing, but Jackson Dart is right there. I mean, you know, 1,900 yards, 14 touchdowns. He's had a bit of a turnover problem this year, but the kid's only a sophomore. Top 20 in the nation in QBR. He can hurt you at times, too. This receiving core and this quarterback is very underrated in the SEC. Can Lane Kiffin finally get his first win over his former mentor? I don't know, but I think they've got a better chance this year to do it than ever before. Let's move on to our game picks for the week and find out. All right, it's my favorite time of the week. It is game picks time, and we have got ourselves a juicy slate of games to talk about and make our predictions on. Starting first, it's the biggest spread of the week and probably the biggest Power 5 spread of the season. It's Indiana at Ohio State, noon game over on Fox, with the Buckeyes favored by 40 points. And to be honest, I like them. I don't know if you can take Indiana based on the way they played last week against Penn State, and I don't know if you're going to see Ohio State put forth an offensive performance much worse than they did last week against Northwestern. It's going to be Ohio State firing on all cylinders this week. They should be able to cover, cover this 40 points. I personally won't touch it, but I don't see a reason that they wouldn't cover this spread. The over-under is 58, and I mean, Ohio State's going to score like 52 points by himself, so why not take the over as well? Moving on, we've got number 7 LSU at Arkansas, noon game on ESPN, and I like the Tigers minus 3.5. I think this might be one of the steals of the week, this line. After that big win against Alabama, you're only making them a field goal favorite on the road against an Arkansas team that has struggled since the, you know, I'd say the first quarter of the season. They have been not good. I like Arkansas, or I like LSU, rather. I like the over 62. Let's move on to the other big SEC game this week. That's Alabama at Ole Miss, 3.30, CBS. Give me the Rebels plus 12. I haven't seen enough from Alabama like I have in recent years for them to convince me that they're going to cover this spread with ease. I like Ole Miss. I like over 64.5. I think both these teams are going to be in the 30s, 40s. Give me Ole Miss. Maryland at number 14, Penn State, 3.30 game over on Fox. And it's two weeks in a row now where I I really think Penn State could have the best spread of the week. They easily covered that 13-point spread against Indiana last week, no problems at all. And I think you're going to see the same thing with them home against Maryland this week. Give me Penn State, minus 10, and I like the under 57.5. To me, I just don't think these teams are going to score a lot of points. I, I know Maryland's defense isn't that great, but Sean Clifford and company have struggled for Penn State lately. Give me Penn State in the under. Moving on, we've got number 22, UCF, at number 17, Tulane. 3.30 game on ESPN2. And give me Tulane, minus one and a half. This is the group of five bowl, and I really think Tulane is going to pull it out. They've been one of the best stories in college football all year. Give me Tulane in the over 54 and a half. Heading into our night games, we've got number one, Georgia, at Mississippi State. 7 o'clock game over on ESPN. And to me, you can't bet against Georgia minus 16 after what they just did last week against Tennessee. I mean, it's about as a demonstrative performance as you can put forth. It's about as a convincing performance as you can put on. I like Georgia, and I like the under 53 and a half. Give me the dogs. And now another one of my favorite lines of the week. I like Washington 
getting 13 and a half at number six, Oregon. Oregon has played like one of the best teams in the country since losing to Georgia. Make no mistake about that. But this is an, a Washington team that can really put up points and give the Ducks some trouble. They're going to go stride for stride on offense with them. And I love that 13.5 point spread. I don't think they're going to lose by more than two scores. Over under at 72.5. This is such a tricky one. I wouldn't touch it. If I was going to bet it, I'd obviously bet the over because this is a game where I'm going to want to root for points. But I like the under. I, I, I don't know. I'm so torn on it. Whatever. Give me Washington plus 13.5. Stay away from that over-under total. It's a bit lofty. And now we're moving on to my game of the week, TCU at Texas, 7.30 over on ABC. Give me TCU plus 7 in this one. I think they're going to lose this game. I think Texas takes it, you know, 42-38, to 38, 41-35. I, to me, you know, an undefeated team, a playoff team getting 7 points – to me, I, I can't bet against that. Again, this is a game that I'd probably stay away from, but if I'm betting it, give me TCU plus 7. Moving on to our last game of the slate, number 15, North Carolina at Wake Forest. North Carolina's been one of my favorite stories this year. I think they're a team that can really challenge Clemson for that ACC title. Give me the Tar Heels plus 3.5 and, and the over-under 77.5. I know they can cover it, but stay away from it for God's sake. I just can't fathom betting a total that high. So, UNC plus three and a half. Don't touch the over-under. And that is it for our game picks this week, folks. It's been a great show. As always, remember to like, remember to subscribe, remember to rate the podcast. Remember, we drop new episodes every single Friday. You can follow us on Instagram at studentsectioncfb, or you can find us online at thestudentsection.net. Whether you're on the bleachers, on the couch, or in some kind of nice seat, I hope you enjoy the weekend of college football, folks. It's going to be a good one. Take care. See you next week.